ride a ride. We're here with Mame and Mom. Yes. Well, hi, Mom. Where did you ever, ever come from? You're my mom, so I came from you. Yeah, that is true. That's true. This backhanded compliment changed your whole life. Mame out, man. I get to visit with one of my favorite people in the whole world. This woman I respect Highly, she is the reason why I went to college to become a psychotherapist because she told me I could and I never thought I could. So I'm really excited to have her on this show because I know that she has a lot of knowledge that she can share with us. And I guarantee there are people listening that could really profit from this information she's about to give us. So anyway, hi, Maura. Hello, Lori. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. And you know, I want to ask you, I was going to introduce you and say everything about what you did for work, but I think you could probably explain it a lot better than I could. So would you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe why I'm having you come on today? Absolutely. I would love to. I'm, I'd be honored to. Uh, well, first of all, before I say anything, I do, when you you do that introduction about the, I'm the reason that you went to be a psychotherapist, I'm always afraid you're going to say, because uh, I wanted to treat you. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, that's so much a better ending than, than what I thought was going to come. So I appreciate that. Yep, we, we were young mothers together. So together we learned in the trenches, as I say, and, and helped and supported each other along the way. I started my career really as a mother. I was a young mother with four children, all within eight years apart. And so I think that was sort of my first learning experience, living it out. From there, I worked in early intervention for uh, the very beginning of my career. And then the majority of my career really was spent in the, in the child development field. Primarily creating and, and, uh, running after school programs for children between the ages of four and middle school for many, many, many years and retired from that about four years ago uh, when I was asked to become a full-time caretaker and nanny uh, and best friend to a beautiful little girl. So I have been doing that for the last four years. And again, I'm a grand, I'm a grandma now, so it's you know it's starting all over again. I'm I'm happy to share my experience, and I don't know about knowledge, but certainly the experiences that I that I've learned along the way. So, Maura, you said early intervention. Could you tell us what that means? What is that? Right. So early intervention is between birth to three years old. If a child, it's determined that a child at any point during that, that time period may need a little bit of extra support. Uh, and that may mean um, short term, long term. And then at three, the child gets transitioned over into whatever school district that that child is is living in. So early early intervention really covers that time period between birth and the age of three. Well, obviously every age is important, but that's like right up there, right? Because that's where a lot of our personality and our brain is formed between zero and three. Is that correct? Well, I would I would say it happens all along, but definitely that's a very critical mm-hmm. time period uh, for sure. And the earlier that the get in and start identifying and working on some of of these issues, then you know the more success 
the child may have later on. And it's also a support for the family. I mean, it's not even a dual prong. I would say it's a triple, quadruple prong to this. It's family support. It's transitioning them into the school. So the school is is very well versed on what the needs of this child is. And, and there's a lot of evaluation pieces that happen during that early intervention phase. And my role in that team was basically helping to organize and set up the initial evaluations and the the evaluations that happen along the way. And also I ran a program called the Community Playgroup Program in which what we basically tried to do is give these children and these families an experience out in the community based on whatever their needs were. So sometimes it would be just a matter of like paying for a membership to Gymboree. Sometimes there were times when we had some children that needed a lot of support and I would actually go to the daycare and be that one-on-one one for that child so that the child could experience some socialization time uh, with other children. So we were very creative. We had a lot of creative license in terms of what families needed, what would make their lives a little bit easier and more enjoyable. Oftentimes, you know, we had some children that had some very, very, very complex diagnoses. And sometimes just a family pass to a sensory museum was, was all they needed. And that allowed them to go on a really regular basis without having the financial burden of, oh, how do we, we can't afford that. So that's sometimes that's what I did, just buy a family membership for a year. How did someone end up in your program? What types of things did you see with these kids? I mean, it was it would it be a child that learns to crawl later on, or or what? What types of things are you looking for? Well, it could be anything. There's there's a whole gamut. It's everything and anything. So a lot, most I would say most of the referrals came from pediatricians, and sometimes it was like I said, there was some short term therapy. So I I can think of one instance where we had it little boy. He was probably about maybe a year old, maybe less than that. So instead of doing the traditional sort of transition crawling, he would scoot on his bottom. So basically what he did was he would put his hands, both hands on the ground and scoot his butt all along. So he he never went into that stage of learning how to crawl and then learning to stand. It was a very short-term kind of intervention. We had the physical therapist come in and basically teach him how to flip him around, legs in the back, knees up, hands, using the arms to pull up. I think he had physical therapy for maybe two months and he was good to go. It wasn't a long-term thing. So sometimes it's, it's, it's something very simple like that, that a child gets stuck in a place and they just need a little bit of help to kind of move along and progress to the next. This is probably 20 something years ago when kids that were on that spectrum, autism and PDD, they really were very hesitant to give that as a diagnosis at all. What's PDD? uh, Pervasive developmental disorder. So it's on that spectrum of autism kind of. We had symptoms and we had signs, but we didn't have diagnosis. And so though, you know, a lot of those cases were sort of more long-term and some kids came to us with a very clear diagnosis, whether it was cerebral palsy or whatever that diagnosis was. We had OT, we had PT, we had speech, we had the community playgroup program, all of those things, sometimes a few of those things, depending on what the needs of the child were. And then we also, a big part of what we did was transition them into the school district, starting at the age of two and a half 
And then once they turn three, they, they move into the school system for whatever support and services that are required from there on. So you said that was about 20 years ago. I yeah. wonder, I wonder what the difference is now from then as far as different diagnoses and what have you. I'm, I'm wondering if they're seeing new things coming up the pike compared to what we had back in the day. Well, I, I'm sure they are. Back then they were very hesitant and almost very unwilling, the medical field, and, and also were very hesitant to diagnose and give that as a diagnosis, whether it was autism or being on the spectrum. So I, I'm, I'm sure that's changed. We're more aware and recognize those components much earlier and get right in there and and begin treatment right away. There, we, we did see a lot of kids with some very severe tra- trauma stuff, and I think that was <clears throat> new to us. Did you see ADHD back then? Was that prevalent at that time? Yeah. Yeah, I, we definitely saw uh, ADHD, yeah, and ADD. We saw all those things. I have seen a lot of kids that do have ADHD, and I think it's really difficult for some parents to deal with that. Did you see that at all? Well, yeah, we saw a lot of that. And again, I think it was a similar thing that I, I think they weren't as quick to make that as a diagnosis early on. Yeah. And I think a lot of, there may have been maybe, you know, with the lack of information and lack of knowledge, there might've been more blaming of parents, like it's a behavioral thing or um, maybe parents blaming themselves more. I, I, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, we saw that very, very clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel so bad. It's so hard to be a parent, first of all, because Mm -hmm. it's, oh, you don't know what you're doing. No one writes you that book, right? How to be a parent. So here you are trying to do the best you can. And if you have a child that does have some sort of diagnosis, it must be so hard. You, you, I don't know. I'm speaking for myself. I can imagine I'd be blaming myself or not knowing what to do. And then if you have a child with ADHD and they have tons of energy and they're running around and, oh, it's so hard. I, I, I don't know. It must be, it, it's difficult from what parents tell me the stress that they go through, but on top of the stress, then they have the guilt because they feel stressed and they feel like they should be doing a better job in, in their mind. Do you see that? Yeah. I mean, we saw, we always saw a lot of that. I mean, when your child is, isn't developing in a typical way and like other air quote kids are, it's very difficult, especially with parents who's that potential autism kind of diagnosis potentially sort of floating around as a possibility. We know one of the things that we saw very frequently was those parents were very isolated. They isolated themselves from other families. They isolated Why? themselves. Why? Why? Because they, it makes, when their child is side by side with another child that might be developing in a more typical way, mm-hmm. the, the differences are, are more obvious. And, and that's very difficult for parents. Uh, very painful. See, I'm sure. Yeah, it's very painful. It's very scary. So we, we did see that as a common theme for a variety of reasons, I'm, I'm sure. But yeah, I mean, having a child, having a child, I think when you're a parent is hard. It's very difficult. And then to have a child that has a lot of energy, the ADHD part of it, you know, you're exhausted. 
So it's physical and it's emotional and it's behavioral and it's a challenge, I'm sure. It It is a challenge. It's hard enough to be a parent, but then you have all that guilt and shame because you feel like you're, you know, like I said, you're you're doing something wrong or you don't know what to do. Well, yeah. And I think society has a tendency to blame parents too. You look at a child that's out and they're sort of out of, out of control in a way. And you're like, oh, that parent just, they just don't put their foot down. We don't really understand what's really going. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes and um, what those, those challenges of that particular family are. So I think society, society can be very judging in that way. And that's, that's, that must be very difficult for families. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I watched this podcast and I wish, I mean, listen to this podcast. And I wish I knew who it was. It was just one of those things. It was, it just, I don't know, it appeared on my phone one day. They were talking about an adult having a tantrum. Mm-hmm. And when they're freaking out, they're yelling or screaming, what that really is, is a child tantrum. And why a child has a tantrum is because they don't know how to, they don't know how to voice their feelings. And a lot of times they don't even know what they're feeling. So they just kind of act it out because they want other people to feel the way they feel. So they'll understand. So if they say that about an, an adult, obviously a child, that's what's happening. That's what a temper tantrum is. That they're trying to let you know that they're just so upset and out of control. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I I do. I I think I'm talking in a very broad way and as a parent, but I I do think that I've kind of experienced this a little bit with with my grandchildren in the sense that they have have a tantrum, let's say. And really, my thought about it is that sometimes when they have that, we look for reasons why. Oh, they're tired or they're hungry or it's because you're, they're spoiled and they're not. Here's the, here's the bottom line. I always say to them, you know, wow, you really are having some big feelings right now. Yes. I mean, that that's really in, in its simplest form. Wow, you really feel very strongly about this, don't you? Wow. It's a way that you're acknowledging the level of, of emotion that they have about something and not treating it like it's it's something like something bad or, or any of that. Wow, I can tell you're really upset about this. If you um, think about it, if say your child is having a temper tantrum and a temper tantrum is not good. But like what you're saying, if you can teach your child, okay, wait a minute, you don't have to have a tantrum. What are you really feeling? And helping them understand where the tantrum is coming from, because after a while, they'll be able to explain how they feel because they'll understand it. And hopefully by the time they're an adult, right? But realistically, we can say that all day long. Yeah, well, you know, just teach your children to use their words, yada, yada, yada. But I mean, it's pretty darn stressful. It's pretty darn stressful to be that parent to have their kid flipping out. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Tantrums have a purpose too, though. I don't know if you, so it releases a lot of pent up energy. It's kind of like they say, oh, have a good cry. It's sort of the same thing. It's like you're letting it all out there. Yeah. I mean, as adults, we can teach them, oh, you need to use your words. Well, they are using the words. Their words are just louder and stronger than we might be a little bit comfortable with at the time. But it's still the feeling behind it. And I think to acknowledge it and to respect it is really key. Wow. Holy moly. Boy, you're upset about this. I can tell. Because, you know, think about it as an adult. If you have a, you know, I know, you know, I'm in my 60s. 
diseased. I, I have tantrums too. I'm going to be honest with you. If I yeah. get overwrought or whatever, you know, and I'm upset about And for someone to say like, wow, I can hear you're really upset about that. I mean, I just feel like that would, it's so good. You know, like, yes, I am. You're right. You're acknowledging that. You're seeing that. You're hearing that. And, you know, how can I help you with this? What do you want? You know, maybe you don't want anything. You don't need anything. But to, for someone to acknowledge it and not treat it like it's a fault and something that, that is broken about you, I think is such a gift. And I think we have to start that with kids at a very young age. I think you just said the, the best word ever, feeling broken. Because you think about it, all we know is what we know. And mm -hmm. as a child, what do you know? You don't know it from yourself. All you know is what people tell you who you are right mm -hmm. I mean how would you know anything when you're a child everything is from experience and from what people say I mean that's it I do think you're you you're born with a certain disposition so you're born with a certain yeah. disposition and so to be able to honor that in whatever way from as early as you can figure out what it is is important we were just talking about this earlier I was talking about this with my two sisters-in-law how my two grandchildren are absolutely opposites. My grandson is very outgoing and very chatty and he'll talk to anybody and there's no boundaries and, oh, hello, stranger. Yeah, I'll go with you. But I mean, in a good way, you know, my granddaughter is very reserved, a little bit more cautious and a little bit more pensive about things. And you, you know, you have to work a little bit harder to get into that inner circle. Once you get in there, it's so worth it. But they're, they, they have very different dispositions and to under, try to understand that and to respect it, I think is key early on. So it would be very easy to send a message to the little girl, to uh, my granddaughter, who's a little bit more reticent and a little bit more cautious and a little bit more formal, you know, to make her feel like there was something wrong there. Like, oh, no, go up and say hi to go up there and shake that person's hand. Yeah. I think in a way that's kind of dishonoring, like, boy, you, you need a little bit more time, huh? So I'm going to stay here and you're there and, and let's figure this out. So I think we can start that very young by understanding some of those dispositional qualities show up really pretty young and yeah. trying to honor that or as early as you can I think is pretty important yeah That's definitely because, yeah we all have different dispositions like you said so say if someone's a little more shy here we are trying to push them forward and that's not going to work for them right so, because yeah, I, I, I personally was a very shy kid I was very a little bit insecure I needed a lot more reassurance and support for any new thing even from a very very young age I mean I can remember it from a very young age and the message and this was years ago parents they didn't have the kind of information that we're armed with now the child development information back then it was like oh knock it off just go in there just yeah, stop yeah. it like and I, so yeah. I grew kind of feeling like that was sort of um not a good quality that was sort of a, a, a lack of quality that that I, I i didn't have it was sort of a flaw and i think that had kind of a big impact on me in my development through the years you didn't have anyone that said to me oh this is hard for you so what can we yeah. do to make things a little bit better or a little bit easier yeah. for you so I think it's just recognizing their natural sort of tendencies early on and then helping them to grow and expand. Yeah, that's oh. it. Right. Because yeah. any behavior, there's something behind it. I mean, like there's a reason. Yeah. yeah. So what yeah, if, what if you want to take a bath? <laughs> Let's give that a 
what would you do? They have a tantrum and they're flipping out. They don't want to take a bath and that's it. What are you going to do? Well, I basically, what I would just say to them is, you know, what's, what's going, I mean, do they need, first you have to ask yourself, do they need a bath? Do they really need they a do. bath? Yeah, they do. So they really, really need a bath. Okay. So then yeah. I would say to them, wow, like I said before, you, you're having some really big feelings about having a bath. It's, let's talk about, see if you can kind of de-escalate the situation and see if you can figure out what's at the bottom of it. Is it, is it really that they just want to control the situation or what is it? Is it that they, something hurts or I think just having a conversation with them, like, so let's talk about this. So i um, you really are having some very, very big feelings and, and some big ideas about having a bath. So let's figure this out because you know what, you need, you need to have a bath. So let's talk about this and figure out how to work it out. Mm-hmm. And having it come up with, um, easier said than done, we can say this all day long, but let's just say in a perfect world, having your child come up with the reason and how it would work better, having them come up with the idea rather than you telling them. Because I think you just hit that. I think it's true. It's out of control. Yeah. No, you're not controlling me. Because I mean, there's probably a lot of pieces to that as well. Maybe it's scary. Maybe if someone else controls them, maybe that's fear, right? But control is a tough thing because don't they need control? They need to feel like they're in control. That's kind of one of those things sometimes. So I think you, we want to give kids as much control as we can. So what parts can can they have control over and what part there are going to be parts that, no, this just has to happen. Sorry. But there, there is, I mean, again, easier said than done. We'll talk about it all day long. And I remember when my kids were little, I'd read this book and it's like, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, sure. In a perfect world. It takes time. It takes time and it takes practice. What I told my two kids, I said, start talking to your kids very early on when they're first born. Talk to them. Okay, here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. Yeah. And I remember my oldest son said to me, that's just crazy, mom. They're not going to know what I'm saying. I said, they're not going to know what you're saying now. But A, you're you're training yourself to yeah. be sharing what's happening all the time with them. You're training yourself to get in the habit of doing that. And eventually, they'll become accustomed to that. And that's what they'll come to expect. And they'll come to appreciate that. So, okay, so what we're going to do right now is we're going to go to the doctors and you have to have a two-week checkup. You're such a big girl. Do they know that, what you're saying? No, but as an adult, you start practicing that kind of dialogue. And I think that will help you down the road tremendously to just talk to your kids, have a conversation. Yeah, because there usually is something behind any behavior. I mean, there just is. That's how it works, right? Yeah. And I've seen people, like I was saying, I've seen people talk in front of their kids saying, you know, I can't get him to bed or he won't take a bath for me or he's this and that. And the child can hear what they're saying. So when it comes to a child, like I said, all they know is what they're told. That's it at that point. So if they keep on hearing over and over again, their parent or someone close to them say he behaves badly or poorly and he won't do his homework and he won't do this and this and this. I mean, after a while, the kid's really going to believe that that's who they are and they're going to take it to another level. Do, do you agree with that? Well, yeah, I think that's entirely possible that a child hears that. I mean, they form their opinions of themselves through society. And especially, I think, people that are their main caretakers, it's it's very important that 
yeah, if they're hearing all the time how, how difficult they are and how many challenges they give their caretaker and how they wish the caretaker wishes they were more like Joey or Johnny or they could be more like this. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you know, that becomes part of how you view yourself for yeah. sure. So we have to be really very careful about that, how, how and when we're talking about that. I think it's important that parents have a sounding board, but it should be, I think, kind of separate from, because I think it's okay to say to the child, you know, I'm struggling here. Yeah. We don't know how to help you because I feel like you're really having a hard time with this and I'm not sure how to help you with that. Having a conversation with them is important too. When kids feel valued, you know, when you're able to do that with them. And wow, I, this is hard. I'm having a hard time with this. And and you are too, because here's the deal. You need to get your homework done. So how do we do this in a way it has to get done? There's some things in life just got to do. So how do we make it? How do we make this work? What do we need? It could be that homework, even though I want personally homework to be done as soon as I get home from school, so I don't have to think about it until after dinner. That's my preference. For some of my kids, that was not the schedule that worked best for them, period. So for me to be like, I don't care. This I want it done by dinner. Having a conversation, trying to experiment with some stuff, trying to give them a voice in things, knowing that they cannot control everything. No one does. Adults, I don't control everything in my life. There's some stuff that society dictates to me that has to happen. That's That's life too, but... There are parts of it that we can say, all right, so how do you want this? So I don't know. It, it's so hard to be a young parent. It's so hard and it's so right. confusing right. and it's so difficult. I honestly, in my opinion, and I know it's not realistic, but I almost think that every young parent should be in counseling. <laughs> That's my opinion. Yeah, I wish yeah. I did. I wish I was in therapy through my whole life. I don't know. Just, right. It's just so difficult. And then think about it when you're, and I know for me, when my kids would be having a tantrum, I'd almost be having a tantrum too. I mean, why wouldn't they right. have a tantrum? Because I would be too, because it's just like, oh, it's so stressful. And the other thing too, and this is fact, your kids pick up on your energy. So say you're in, you're stressed out, you're having a bad day, you're, you can't pay your bills. I don't care, whatever it is, you're feeling this. Your kids are going to pick up on that and they're going to be stressed out as well. And I always looked at, okay, I don't know how I'm feeling, but it depends on how my kids are reacting. Are they acting up today? I guess that means that I'm stressed out. Well, yeah, I was always kind of, I would always say, oh, why do you pick today to do this? But you're right. I mean, it's, I never really looked at it as the opposite, which is kind of like, so I'm, if I'm super stressed out, then they're, they're struggling a little bit more to like figure out where's mom? Why isn't mom's attention on us? What's going on with mom? They're kind of responding. Whereas I would kind of see it the opposite, like, oh, why do they pick today to do this? I used to always say that whenever I get on the phone, that's when my kids need me. You know, it's sort of, that's like the simplistic view of of sort of like what we're talking about, where when you're distracted and you're stressed out and you're worried about other stuff, that's when the kids are like really trying to get your attention even more. Like, hey, what's going on? What's they're sensing that sort of like, oh, okay, where's mom? Why is she not engaging with us and that kind of thing? So, well, you're their safety, right? So if their safety isn't safe, then it's even more scary for them. So that's why they're going to act out. Yeah, but they're going to search for it. <laughs> No. Did you? And then no. you have no, 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 no patience and then they end up in timeout. You know, it's just, it's so sad. It's so scary. It's so hard. 
I know. And I want to put out there and remind all parents, here we are saying all this stuff, and but it's not easy. This is not easy. It takes years to even understand this. And I really do think that one of us should be in counseling just to learn or read and find as many books or podcasts that you can listen to just to learn this stuff because it's hard. Right. There's, I mean, there's a lot of great podcasts out there that address these everyday issues that we deal with with kids. Every single day, there's there's going to be issues, and there's a lot of great podcasts out there that will, it's a way to kind of get the support that you need and be listening to some of the experts about, oh, yeah, this, yeah, that happens and this happens. And it's, it's yeah, it gives you some some tools to help with, with this process. And it is, it's, it's a long, drawn-out process. That's it. It's a process of growth for everybody. We all so think of it that think of it yeah that way is as a parent you know you're growing and changing and growing 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 and and maturing and learning and so you're being educated as alongside your children so it's like the most dynamic environment ever <laughs> so and then you know throw in these adult things that happen and you still have to yeah it's um it's extremely challenging you're not going to be good at it at all times nobody is Forgive yourself, give yourself some slack, take a deep breath and just start over the next day. Wipe the slate clean and start over. You can apologize to your kid. They appreciate that. You can say, you know what? I didn't handle that that well. And they'll be like, yeah, no kidding. We <laughs> all make all, mistakes and we're human. They need to see that, that you're being a good example and role model yeah. for them, really, when you do that. Absolutely. And I've had parents mm-hmm. say, I wish I was a better parent. Look at this one or that one. They seem like they really have their stuff together. And the way I look at it is if you are willing to say you're not the perfect parent, yep. that means you're yep. a pretty darn good parent yeah. because you're, you're, you're being honest and open versus someone that thinks that they're all in a bag of chips. Because no. It's not an easy job. So I take my hat off. Not that I'm wearing a hat right now, but say I'm wearing a hat. I take it off to anyone that's willing to be the best parent they can because it's hard. Maura and I can tell you together when our kids were little, oh my God, it was crazy. Wasn't it, Maura? Oh my God. Yeah, it was. It's, I'm always, I'm always kind of surprised when I, when I get a nice Mother's Day card from my kids because I'm, they're like, you're such an amazing mom. I'm like, no, not really. I just, um, I try to give my kids what I, I could have used back then. And that's just a parent saying, you're, you got this. You're awesome. You're amazing. Enjoy your kids. Laugh with your kids, have fun with them. Don't be afraid to say no. And yeah, there might be tantrums here and there, but enjoy them and don't be afraid. You're going to make mistakes. Gosh. Oh, I mean, I I love imperfection. I think imperfection is beautiful. I'm all about it, thank goodness, because that's pretty much where I live most of the time. (laughs) There isn't imperfection. There's no such thing as perfection. There just isn't. No, so it's the people no. that are honest, like us. It's like, no, I did my best. I wasn't perfect. I might have been in the bathroom smoking, whatever. And I, really <laughs> I always say that it's my, <laughs> my and mom, I really wasn't. But anyway, it's 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 funny because it's it's hard. And I can say I went into the bathroom so many times crying. Yes. I did have a kid with ADHD. And it's like, oh, 
I'm trying to be the best mother I can. I'm trying to be patient. So you go in there, cry a little bit and come out with a smile on your face. But if I didn't have a good friend like you to process it, it wouldn't have been good. Well, I mean, we used to laugh. It was, you know, a lot of comic relief and and we would take each other's kids when we needed it. And and that's stressful too. If you don't have any support in that regard, I think it's important to, to, you know, build yourself a little, a little, um, you know, a little nest egg and with friends or, you know, I belong to a rosary group in uh, back home in New Hampshire. And there was, I was the only older person. They had, there was a lot of young moms there. And I just saw them just nurture and support each other. And it was just the most beautiful thing. And and there were women in this group that were in different stages of child rearing. You know, I'm well out and and now have grandchildren and you know there were other moms whose children were grown and not young anymore and then new ones pregnant and I used to always get like they'd be like all of a sudden like all turned to me like what was it like tell us what to do and I'm like oh gosh (laughs) what no look at me like is there someone behind me you're talking to I know you hate when I say this but I honestly do believe that anyone that gets to be around you and learn from you they're so fortunate because you have really changed my life. You are a huge, huge part of me and still are and always will be. So I'm so grateful to have you on our podcast. So thank you so much. And oh, she took time out of her Sunday to do this podcast last minute. So oh, well, you, you know, so I do anything. I'll do anything for you. So it's, oh, it's, a it's both of us. I would do anything for you, anything on this mm-hmm. earth. And that's fact. Mhm. Yes. Very lucky. Well, thank, you. thank you so much, sweetheart, for being on our show. My pleasure. Emily, Emily's going to be bummed that she wasn't here to talk with you, but she's sending her love. Wonderful. Sounds good. And I'm sending it back to my love to her. Thank you. Thank well, you. Thank we'll you. talk soon. And to all those wonderful young parents out there, just hang in there, yeah. relax, enjoy the ride. It's before you know it, it's over. So enjoy it. It's over. Yeah, over before you know it. All right. Yeah. Well, you take care, Maura. Thank yep. you. Hey, this is Emily from Maim and Mom. Thanks for listening to our podcast. It comes out every Monday. Music by Faradaziz of Wiki Games. Sponsored by New Hampshire Made Moms. Write in listener questions to mamemom at gmail.com. Us or probably one of our dogs will respond with feedback. Mame out. <laughs>